Scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. That can be found in the Pew Bibles on pages 187 and continuing on, excuse me, 1087 and continuing on 1088. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace to him and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Hope you've had a wonderful period of Thanksgiving, and let's make sure that that is the pattern of our life year around. I've heard so many comments since last Wednesday night of the thankfulness of us being able to experience and to worship God in that period of time that our deacons led our service Wednesday night. What a blessing that was. What a tremendous uh, job that they did. We appreciate JP and his organization of that night, and um, what a beautiful, wonderful gift that we had to experience that. As we think about our last of 13 lessons on the cross, we think about the blood. Wow. Why blood? It doesn't smell so good when it's fresh, and when it's not fresh, it really doesn't smell good. When you see a lot of containers and, and hospitals, you see it's biohazardous if it's bloody, and that's where it's placed is in that container. Why is it of all the ways that God could talk about redeeming mankind, they referred to blood? We many times look at it and, and think of the diseases that it might have. We think about the fact that we'd rather not be close to it. Why blood? Friends, as we think about whether or not the cross and the blood on that cross is gory or glory, we have to decide from which standpoint we'll see the cross, physically or spiritually. You see, on the other hand, we're not always opposed to blood. In that very same hospital, in a cleaner room and in a nice bag, we look at blood that's stored and say, that saves individuals' lives. Or we look and memorialize veterans that shed their blood for our freedom. Or we greatly appreciate police officers or firemen that they lay down their life for our protection. Even though it is true that there is a goriness that's associated with blood, if we understand it properly, there's also a glory that's associated with it. Notice on this next slide, as we have a definition of the uh, 
goriness, but then also in a moment, the glory. This was interesting to me on dictionary.com. You see, the first definition of gory deals with stains such as blood. But notice verse 3, involving much bloodshed and violence. And then the example is given, a gory battle. But now let's look at glory. When we look at the definition of glory, we see that it deals with praise and honor. And under one, notice the example, to win glory on the field of battle. Isn't that interesting that just perhaps by coincidence that both of these use an example of the battlefield? And the reality is that's how the blood of Jesus Christ is used all throughout the scriptures. You see, it's which side are you on? If Jesus Christ is your savior, his blood is not a gory ordeal to you, but it is glory to you because it makes all the difference in the world. Be turning if you will, to Revelation, the 19th chapter. And as you're turning there, I want us to notice this next slide is just a quick uh, review of some of the things in Revelation. Now, you know that if we were going to study Revelation and understand the context of it, we would spend weeks and perhaps months to do that. Let me mention just a couple of things to you quickly as we begin this morning. One is that the first chapter in verse 1 tells us that it is a message from Jesus Christ. Verse 3 tells us that we, the students of Revelation, are blessed if we study this book. As a matter of fact, it's a part of the first of seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. But there is a central focus in the book of Revelation. It gives us a philosophy, and that is... God is in control. When persecution was running rapid among uh, the Roman Empire against Christianity, it seemed like Satan was in control. And so we have this message, no, God is in control. And the center of this message is Jesus Christ, the one who shed his blood to give us victory. Now with this in mind, I'd like for us to read here in Revelation, the 19th chapter. He's been speaking now for about three chapters of Rome and Rome's destruction. And you can imagine how beautiful that would have sounded to Christians who had been so harshly persecuted and many had lost their life at the hands of this empire. And notice in verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed, here it is, with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Not on the screen, but if you skip down in 19 and 20, we see how successful this warrior was. In 19 and 20, he says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now let's think for just a moment, who is this warrior? Revelation is written in signs. We learn that in the first few verses also of the book of Revelation. It's never been, it wasn't written to begin with, and even now to be taken literal. 
I'm not suggesting to you that when Jesus comes again or even in the time of, of a kind of judgment that Jesus will literally be on a white horse. But this is the symbolism that John is given in this revelation to help us understand the spiritual battle that is going on. Now let's pause here for just a moment. If we only see the physical aspect of the cross, we miss the importance of the cross. The spiritual battle that was fought on Calvary. And so it is here. Don't get so wrapped up in the the signs and the symbols that are used here that we miss the spiritual significance. What is it that John wants us to see here? He says, I want you to see Jesus and he's on a white horse. In Revelation, white is always associated with purity and the horse is a sign for a warrior. And so here is a warrior, a warrior that's going to fight for purity on the side of holiness. Now notice he is called faithful and true. Don't ever, ever underestimate the importance of Jesus being faithful. You remember many weeks ago, we talked about the struggle that he had over in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he was faithful there. You remember when the Hebrew writer wrote about that struggle over in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said it was there that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. You remember the Hebrew writer would also, that was in the 5th chapter and verse 8, in the 4th chapter and verse 15, he would talk about Jesus and say he was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. His faithfulness is tremendous when we understand that we can lean on Him. We can trust Him. Jesus, this warrior of holiness, has never let us down. He's true. As a matter of fact, in John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice also at the end of 11 what he does. He judges and makes war. Here he's talking about the fact that Jesus will be the judge. He's going to come and he is going to be the one that's going to seek vengeance. You remember at the end of Romans, the 12th chapter, we're told not to seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Here is a picture of Jesus seeking vengeance. He's going to come on the day of judgment and all of those that have worked against His cause, their blood will be shed. All of those that have hurt His people, they will pay for what they've done. So the next time when we say around the office or around the workplace or around school or around the community or maybe even in our families and we look at someone who's living a wicked life and we say, why do they always seem to come out on top? Just remember Revelation 19. Let me go back there again and let me be reminded, friends, they are not going to come out on top. The one who cast war against wickedness will be on the white horse and they will have the ultimate punishment. With that in mind, look at his eyes in 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire. In other words, he can see into the hearts of men. He can judge truth. On his head were many crowns. You remember before he gave the great commission in Matthew the 28th chapter in 19 and following, first in verse 18, he says, all authority or all power has been given to me on heaven and in earth. 
You see, he wears many crowns because there is not a place that he does not reign, that he is not the greatest. He truly is, as Revelation says time and time again, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Now notice, he has a name written that no one knows except himself. There's so much about Jesus that we don't understand. It transcends our understanding. There will come a day where we'll probably know that name. There'll come a day where we'll understand and even have greater appreciation for that name. But right now, we don't know that name. But this brings us to why we're studying this this morning. You see there in verse 13? He's clothed in a robe. I thought about giving you a visual illustration this morning. And then I thought that you might literally think it was so gory that some of you might get sick. But I thought about getting the blood of a lamb and getting a white robe and dipping that white robe in blood and let you see it. Friends, our Lord, the warrior who fights for holiness, is wearing a robe that is blood-stained. And the interesting thing about Revelation 19 It's not his blood on that robe. You see, when we read deeper into Revelation 19 and verse 15, we see that he mentions him at the very end of 15, treading the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. You see, what we see happening here is we see a reminder of the day of judgment is going to be a time where the warrior is going to be victorious and the blood that's going to be shed on that last day, now this is symbolism, the blood that's going to be shed on that last day will be the blood of the enemies. Turn with me, if you will, as as we look back to Isaiah, the 63rd chapter. I'd like for you to see a passage that was written in a prophetic sense and it no doubt ties in to Revelation 19. The truth is scholars look through the writing here in Isaiah and, and you talk about Isaiah the 62nd chapter and you come to Isaiah the 63rd chapter and it begins by talking about who is this who comes from Edom. And by the way, we don't have a screen for this. If you want to turn in the Bible that's in your pew, it's 660. And, and we get to Edom here and we say, wait a minute, why is he bringing up the people of Edom? It, it just doesn't seem to fit here. But yet Edom is oftentimes mentioned as individuals who are wicked. So there's a symbolism here where he says, let's talk about the wickedness of mankind. Notice how powerfully this ties into Revelation 19. We're in the 63rd chapter, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this one who is glorious in his apparel. Now remember we're studying this morning, is the blood, when it's on Jesus' robe, is it glory or is it glory? And Isaiah says, it's glorious. Look at this. Let's read on. Traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. He is the warrior who stands for holiness. He stands for righteousness. And what's he going to do? He says, I'm the one that saves. What about all those that say, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to be a child of God. I don't want to live for the Lord. Well, let's read on. What's going to happen to those? He says in two, why is your apparel red? 
and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger. Now let's pause right there for a moment. And if you're uh, with us for the first time this morning, I think you can benefit from this. But if you've been here throughout this series, you remember several weeks ago when we studied the wrath of God? And you remember God's wrath is against sin. And God is not partial. He is just. He is righteous. So every sin must be punished. That is the wrath of God. That's what Isaiah is referring to. That's what Revelation, the 19th chapter, is referring to. Why does Jesus' robe have the blood of the enemy on it? Because the enemy has to be punished, and he's the one that is going to cast them into punishment. In other words, he is going, he is already victorious, and that battle will be victorious in that day, and their blood will splash upon his garments as he will remain on the white horse. He will remain victorious as they will be cast down. So now back to Isaiah. He's talking about the wine press. Now notice how he says this here. In the middle of three, he says, And from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger. See, that's the wrath, my anger. And trampled them in my fury, their blood is sprinkled on my garments. Whose blood? The people that were sinners that have to be punished on the day of judgment because they chose not to allow Jesus to pay their price for their sins. Every sin will be punished. Some symbolically will say, I will go to death with my own sin. I don't want a Savior. Symbolically, they will be placed in the wine press and the wrath of God will press out their punishment and Jesus will wear their blood stained on his garments and we finish this I've stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come I looked but there was no one to help and I wondered but there was no one to uphold therefore my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury is sustained it sustained me I have trodden down the people in my anger made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth friends when we see here the blood in this teaching the blood here is not the blood from the cross that's Jesus' blood. The blood here is the blood of all of those that will be punished on the day of judgment. It truly will be a day of vengeance when righteousness will have its final victory. Well, what does that mean about the blood of Jesus Christ? The blood of Jesus Christ literally becomes the dividing line. Friends, those that are standing on their own merit have not passed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who have passed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the one on the white horse is not against them. They're forgiven. As he says here, they're redeemed. He has saved them. They're not going to be placed in the wine press. They're not going to be held accountable for their sins. Their sins are forgiven and forgotten. Now that brings us to a second point that's very powerful. If we will, let's go back to the text that was read so capably this morning. Look back in Revelation, the first chapter. In Revelation, the first chapter, let's notice verse 4, 5, and 6. 
And let's see how the blood here is a cleansing agent. Let's read this. Revelation, the, the uh, first chapter uh, in our, our uh, text this morning, it's already been read in, in verse 4 that John, let's skip two slides. And, and notice, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who before his throne. Now see, that's addressing who? He's writing to those seven churches. Who's this from? It's from Jesus Christ. Notice again, faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us. Now here it is. He loved us in a lot of, uh, probably a better translation on loved us would not have loved in past tense. It's a present tense there. He loves us. It's continual. But washed is past tense. And washed us from our sins in His own blood. Now again, you visualize that, please. Oh, you want to wash your clothes? Oh, I've got a wash machine full of blood here. Oh, you want to take a bath? Oh, I have a bath full of blood here. And you say, how can that be? Well, if we look at it physically, we look and say, that's gory. If we look at it spiritually, we say, what a glorious event. We can be washed in the blood of Jesus because Jesus shed His blood for us. In other words, He laid down His life in our place. We can die for our own sins or we can accept the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And accepting that sacrifice makes it a glorious event in our lives. But how do we do that? When do we come in contact with it? I want you to note in your mind, you may even want to write out in the front of your Bible, you may not even want to leave it there in Revelation. We oftentimes talk about being washed in the blood of Jesus. And a lot of times we forget where that's found. It's found there in Revelation 1 and 5. Why is that important? Because then the discussion comes up, when are we washed in the blood of Jesus? Well, when we look at several passages that speak of baptism, we see that baptism is the point in time that the Lord washes away the guilt of our sins. And so when we put these other passages together about baptism and we put Revelation 1 and 5 together, we realize that the blood is the cleansing agent and baptism is simply the place. Just like if a surgeon is going to perform surgery, and by the way, this is biblical, this I'm giving you comes from Colossians, the second chapter, verse 11 and 12, and the circumcision there is, the, the surgery there is circumcision. And if a surgeon is going to perform surgery, you say, where do you perform that surgery? And we could ask the Lord, okay, you're the great physician, you cut away the guilt of sin, where do you perform that procedure? And we would learn that His blood washes away our sins in baptism. Notice this next slide as we consider just a few passages. In Acts the 22nd chapter in verse 16, when Paul told about his conversion, he said that Ananias came to him and asked, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, what was the agent? The agent was the blood of Jesus. Where do we come in contact with that agent? At the place that Jesus washes away our sins. The place is baptism. The water is not the agent that takes away the guilt of our sins. 
That's the place where it happens. When we look at Acts, the second chapter, and verse 38, remember baptism is taught there to be for the remission of sins. When we look also in 1 Peter 3 and 21, we learn that it is in baptism that we are saved. Why? This is where the blood of Jesus comes in contact with our life and washes us clean. That's why the Hebrew writer in Hebrews, the ninth chapter in verse 22, would say that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The blood of Jesus is the dividing line. Those that have not passed through the blood of Jesus will have fury of the wrath of God on the day of judgment. But those who have passed through the blood of Jesus and Christ's blood has cleansed them in the waters of baptism, they stand forgiven. But now please note this. They also stand making a commitment that they will live in view of that cross, in view of the Savior, every day of their life. Look with me, if you will, Revelation, the 12th chapter, as we bring this to a close. Revelation, the 12th chapter. This passage would be the beginning of much writing about Rome and the persecution that would be brought upon the church. And so he's urging them to overcome. And I'd like for you to notice here how these individuals overcame the accuser. In Revelation 12, we'll have the setting a little bit given in 10. Revelation 12 and 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they, now who's they? That's the brethren that have been accused by the accuser, the ones that have been cast down. And they overcame... Him, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. We have those three things in numeral form on the next slide. Notice how John the Revelator teaches that individuals that do not want their blood on Christ's robe on the day of judgment, they don't want to be found in the fury or the wrath of God. They've passed through and they've overcome. Why? They've passed through the blood of the Lamb, the cleansing agent. But then notice number two. They held their testimony. Friends, the only way we can be saved is to not be ashamed of the Lord, but to boldly stand and confess that Jesus is Lord, the Son of God. And hold to that at any expense. That brings us to the third point there. They love the Lord more than they love their own life. Do you remember in Revelation 2 and 10 where he told those individuals there, Be thou faithful unto death? What is the difference in this? He said, Be thou faithful unto death. Why didn't he say, Be thou faithful until death? Well, let's back up from that extreme just a moment. Tomorrow, when you're in school or your workplace, what if we said, be thou faithful unto any situation? Or what if we said, be thou faithful until the difficult situation comes up? 
What if taking a stand for righteousness risks your next promotion? What if taking a stand for righteousness risks a friendship? What if taking a stand for righteousness lowers your grade? What if taking a stand for righteousness means you're not as well appreciated by the coach? What if taking a stand for righteousness and you fill in the blank? Then the question that we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be faithful unto it, meaning we'll go right through it and stay with the Lord? Or will we be faithful until it and we'll stop and say, okay, that's it. I'm not going to do it now. Friends, if I reach that point in my faith, I've become faithless. And that's where I pass back through. And I find myself separated because I can't serve two masters. I'm either 100% for the Lord, willing to give all for the Lord, or I'm not for the Lord at all. I scatter abroad, Matthew the 12th chapter and verse 30. The blood. When we think about the blood of the cross, we think about how beautiful it is as a dividing line because as long as we've passed through that blood, friends, we're safe. We've been forgiven. As long as we're living that life that says, I'll take up my cross and I'll follow you daily. That's the glory, the glory of the cross. That's the glory of the blood of the cross. Luke, the 23rd chapter, records the death of Jesus being nailed to the cross with these simple words. There they crucified Him. Doesn't spend much time talking about the physical. But for the rest of the Bible... He tells us the spiritual. This morning, if you haven't been saved by the blood of Jesus, why not? There's a Lord that loves you so much, He gave His life for you. He died in your place. He wants to spend an eternity with you. If you've never been baptized, that's where we meet the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. Won't you do that this morning if you're a believer, willing to repent and confess before men? Maybe you've been baptized and somewhere along the way, you've reached an until moment instead of an unto moment. Maybe you can look back and see the times that you sacrificed God's will for your will and you're ready to repent of that and you're ready to confess it and you're ready to come back home. That's the beautiful thing about the blood of Jesus. There's not a person here perfect. But there's a whole bunch of us here that have decided to pass through the blood. And we want to meet our Lord on judgment on that side of the blood. And let's make sure that we all leave here this morning having achieved that. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. I can hear my Savior calling.